7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America. Good morning, America. Happy Monday. <laughs> 3 p.m. in London. It is 7.30 in Mumbai, India. 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan. Good evening, Kyoto. And in Malaysia, it's 1942. I'm Jay Sheldon, the guy without the pants. <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. Welcome, welcome from Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com. Hello, Rumble. We love you. Uh, we are also, of course, a podcast, and uh, you are listening to the audio-only part of our show um, across all podcast platforms. So wherever you get your podcast, easy peasy, just go there, search for I'm not wearing pants or Jay Sheldon. Look for that logo right up there. And uh, that's it. Click on it. Click follow or subscribe, whatever your platform calls it. Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public. We're on all of them in India, Geo7 in particular, which, by the way, Geo7 is a great place for Indian music. If you're looking for all kinds of variety from Bollywood to you name it, it's all there. Uh, Geo7, highly recommended, very cool, and uh, thanks and hello to all of our Indian uh, listeners on the uh, uh, Indian continent there. Uh, all right, uh, we got uh, Elon Musk coming up. Well, he's not here. This show just isn't, you know, important enough to get Elon as a guest. But we are going to talk about Elon a little bit. I haven't chatted much about this because it's, you know, it's all over the news. Everybody's talking about it. And I prefer to talk about the stuff that nobody's talking about. So, but we are going to touch on this a little bit tonight because I, I just, I saw this and I thought, oh, here we go. Uh, by the way, when I say trashing Elon, I don't mean we're trashing Elon. We are a big fan of Mr. Musk. We like him a lot. But anyway, we'll get into that right now. Let's get into this little lady. Miko update. Mickey, Mickey, Miko update. Yeah, our little Shiba Inu dog. Speaking of Elon, <laughs> uh, Miko's doing great. Uh, she is eating us out of house and home. She's feeling well. She gets a couple of good walks a day. She was crazy for play today. I don't know, some, something in the wind. She is in the middle of another shedding season, another blow, as they call it. So there's hair everywhere. It's just like a snowstorm everywhere she she goes. And uh, it's a daily double time, two times a day or three times a vacuum in the house now. Because it's it literally, I'll get a picture up. I'll get a video and I'll show you on one of my streams coming up. Because uh, it's it's beyond crazy. But anyway, other than the shutting, <laughs> everything's great. And Miko is doing wonderful. I know those of you who uh, who uh, message me or email and uh, ask about Miko are always Always wondering. If you want to contact me through, for any reason, you got a show suggestion, you want something I want, you want me to talk about. Also, we do read books on this show, the last part of our show, last 20 minutes or so. Uh, we've been reading classic books for over 200 streams now. Uh, we've done a whole bunch. We've done The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, The Little Prince, uh, The Velveteen Rabbit. Uh, we have uh, lately been doing the story of Winnie the Pooh, and we're going to continue that tonight. So that'll be coming up uh, on our stream also. Um, 
So, yeah, uh, we're going to talk about Elon. You know, you have to know this story. It's been all over the news. And I don't think there's a person on the planet that doesn't know that Elon has made a bid to purchase Twitter, basically, without getting into all the complicated, strange details, most of which you likely know already. Um, Elon is a big advocate of the freedom of speech and the U.S. Constitution, thankfully. And he is uh, not in favor of the kind of crap that Twitter, and not just to single out Twitter, Facebook also, YouTube also, uh, does as far as uh, blocking and, and cutting out. Matter of fact, one of my posts from six months ago, I was going to put this in a thing so I could show you the notice, but I thought, nah. Um, I got a notice that a post I made from six months ago, it was a video from a very legit site and a very legit company who produced this video about 9-11. And it, the, the reason they gave me, I don't know, some stupid ass thing about terrorist organizations or some crap, I don't know. Anyway, so they, they blocked the video from anybody's view but me. And uh, so I argued. I said, you're full of crap. You don't know what you're talking about. Unblock it. I don't really care. You want to block it? Go ahead. Knock yourself out. Um, but anyway, yeah, every, and it's like six months ago. What are you, just so freaking bored over there at Facebook that your little your little Nazi censors are going way back to posts from six months ago? I mean, seriously. Anyway, that kind of crap, if Elon Musk were to buy Twitter, hopefully would stop because Elon is a big fan, as are we, of freedom of speech. I had, in fact, read once where he was an, a freedom of speech absolutionist, meaning absolute freedom of speech. You have an absolute right to say whatever you want. I'm not too far away from that. With a few limited restrictions, I'd have to say I'm pretty much a freedom of speech absolution, absolutionist, meaning absolute total freedom of speech. Now, uh, of course, you know, they're, they're trying to do everything they can. Even the U.S. Justice Department and the SEC have begun investigations uh, on Elon and uh, Mr. Musk's uh, companies. And this from Business Insider, the link is in the show notes tonight. You want to read the whole article. The amount, <laughs> get this headline, okay? Like they don't have an, you know, this is from the idiots at Business Insider. The amount of data Elon Musk would have access to if he privatized Twitter cannot be compared to anything that has ever existed. Dun, dun, dun. Researcher, oh, the Washington Post. There's a real good one. Yeah, okay. Uh, a researcher told the Washington Post one person controlling Twitter would be incompatible with democracy. <laughs> oh, man. Unregulated, look at this crap. Unregulated data collection about user behavior means the social media industry holds incredible sway over real world events. Yeah, you think? Uh, she said, this is a disaster. And it's not only about Elon Musk, but he kind of puts it on steroids. These people are so afraid that you're going to lose your ability to censor and edit the narrative and to only put out there the things that you and or whatever the government wants you to hear. 
like, oh, say, Hunter Biden's laptop, oh, you wait. In the next week or two or three, a lot of stuff is going to be breaking about that laptop. Mark my words, it's going to get dicey. Uh, anyway, so yeah, this is from Business Insider. And, you know, right away, as soon as they started, these kind of headlines start showing up, like this one. Elon Musk just got himself sued over an attempted Twitter coup. This is from InputMag.com. Link to these two articles are in our show notes. But if you put any link in any search engine, put in Elon Musk, then you're going to find all this kind of crap. Because now the wackos and the idiots on the left are doing, you know, Elon was their hero, the electric car guy. Ooh, Elon Musk, yay, rah, rah, until he decided to buy Twitter and make it open and allow everyone to say what they want. Now, all of a sudden, they're painting him as the bad guy. Like this article. Read this one. The only thing surprising about Elon Musk getting his ass sued for brazenly ignoring a regulatory deadline last month to disclose his 9% stake in Twitter is that it took even this long to get it sued. But sued it has gotten. The Associated Press announced earlier today a new legal challenge in New York accuses the techno-king of intentionally withholding news of his purchases in order to continue buying up Twitter stock at lower prices. Uh, He snagged a little over 670,000 shares of Twitter January 31st at $36.83 apiece and continued buying up stock nearly daily through April 1st when he finally told everyone about his uh, machinations. Anyway, he was supposed to have uh, informed fellow shareholders within two weeks when he surpassed a 5% share. So, of course, they're going to put out the lawsuits. They're going to put up everything they can to try and interfere with this. And their only fear, their only fear, it's got, and you saw the headlines about what the offer he made, 50-something bucks a share, billions in profit for shareholders. And what does the board do of Twitter? They say no, virtually say no take the poison pill and it's just what these people will do, including neglecting their fiduciary duty board of Twitter, what these people will do to try and stop this man. And moreover to try and stop places like Twitter from becoming a true free speech platform, which it isn't right now. It completely is not. It is amazing. The lengths these people will go to. The jury's still out. The offer still stands. Apparently, there's a plan B, that according to Elon Musk himself. And uh, what's to happen is still to be seen. Uh, The last thing I saw earlier today was that he might be looking to some partners to come in to the deal. But we'll see. It's interesting. By the way, I have been very much on Twitter recently. Uh, not posting as often. I post sometimes, once in a while. I retweet a lot of stuff. But uh, you can follow me over on Twitter. The link to my Twitter account is in the show notes. It's way down at the bottom under my social media places. Uh, it's at It's J Sheldon, I-T-S-J Sheldon. And um, you can check that out. If you are so inclined, you want to follow me, go ahead. I'll follow you back. Why not? Um, so yeah, the saga continues. Mr. Musk all the best to you. I truly hope you succeed and people don't get in your way. It's 
absolutely been an amazing story to follow and to see exactly how, to what lengths the left will go to stop free speech. It is frightening. Sorry, coffee break time. All right. Speaking of embarrassing people. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bad segue, but this is a perfect one for this. Do you know who these guys are? Again, on the podcast, check out the link in our, I think I put the link in our show notes. (laughs) 25 years ago this week. Boy, we go from Elon Musk to this story. 25 years ago this week, we were now, admit it, you did it, I did, I know you did. We were all singing, mbop, bop, bop, mbop. You remember mbop? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hanson, that's what they looked like 25 years ago. I saw a video within the last year. I, I, I can't play it because of copyright crap, but um, they got together recently and reperformed Mbop. And it was pretty good. It sounded like a mature version of Hanson and Mbop. But these guys and this ridiculously stupid song became a number one hit in 27 countries, believe it or not. That's them 25 years ago. They don't look like that today much. But back in the day, 25 years ago, this very week, Hanson's Mbop was on the charts and hitting number one across the world. Oh, man. I think I was in radio still. I don't know if I was TV or radio back then, but I remember playing Mbop on the radio, so I must have been... I must have still been doing my radio show back then, 25 years ago. Oh, man. Oh, what horrible memories that brings. Uh, Mbop. All right. What else we got? Oh, oh, yeah. This is the coolest story. You absolutely must check out these pictures. And it's a a short story uh, written by a, a local Malaysian person. And it is absolutely fascinating. It has to do with World War II um, and the tragedy. Uh, I am of the opinion that the atomic bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were unnecessary. I know people feel that uh, it shortened the war and it actually saved many more thousands, if not millions of lives or hundreds of thousands anyway of lives ending the uh, the war. But uh, I just cannot reconcile myself with the uh, with the dropping of the atomic bombs. Um, and this from Zunaita Romley. It's a public post. And uh, these are the pictures that go along with the story. So I'm going to read you the story that uh, Zunaita wrote uh, while you check out the, uh, the pictures. People may not know at the time of Hiroshima and the bombing, there were three Malaysians involved in that tragedy. The late Nick Yusuf Nick Ali from Kota Baru, Klantan. The late Syed Omar Mohammed Asilgoff from Johor. And the late Datuk Abdul Razak Abdul Hamid. Uh, How were they in Japan? And uh, wasn't it 
the time Japan colonizing Malaysia, um, they were actually three out of 203 students from all over Southeast Asia who were selected to follow the special study abroad program from 1943 to 1945 to study Japanese culture and language. And they were all fully sponsored by the Japanese government back then. Uh, Nick Yusuf, Nick Ali at the time was 19 years old, actually in a hostel about 900 meters from the hypocenter where the bomb was dropped. When the atomic bomb was dropped, Nick Yusuf survived and crawled out of, to save himself, but eventually passed away near Saiki because his body was so badly burned due to radiation. The temple community in Saiki decided to collect all the nearby victims and burn them, but Nick Yusuf's body could uh, be identified as a Muslim because there was a name tag on his shirt, so they made the cemetery according to Islamic teachings. Uh, Allah, Allahar, Allah Harham's grave becomes the only Muslim grave in the middle of the Shinto cemetery in Kozenji Temple in Hiroshima. Uh, Allah Yaham Syed Omar Muhammad Asilgoff also survived, suffered only minor injuries, and despite that, he continued to help other victims who were thirsty from radiation exposure. A few weeks later, however, his skin cracked and began to fell, fall off. Um, turns out the radiation had penetrated his body through the small wounds. And although doctors there tried to save Syed Omar, even donating their own blood, uh, he finally passed away and was buried in the in, in Koji Cemetery in Kyoto. Uh, rest in peace, Datuk Abdul Razak Abdul Hamid. During the incident, he was 20 years old, the only Malaysian citizen who actually survived the bombing, brought back to Malay at the time. Uh, he was recognized by the Japanese government as one of the 1,760 foreigners who survived the atomic bomb explosion. Although his education in Hiroshima was stalled by the tragedy, he didn't give up on his passion and enthusiasm to learn Japanese. He passed away July 18th of 2013. He was the ripe old age of 88. He's quoted from the Star uh, newspaper. I don't have nightmares, but I hate it when someone mentions war. I hate it because I've seen the effects of war. I guess you have, my goodness. But these pictures are, uh, are absolutely amazing. It's fascinating, the, uh, the shots. These are the, uh, the three of them, uh, the folks that we just told you about in our story. If you want to read the article and check out the pictures, uh, if you're watching or listening in on the podcast, uh, you can do that. Here is the uh, placard, which denotes the uh, burial site of, um, of uh, Imran and let's see what else we got here. There we go. This is the uh, the cemetery itself. Here is the uh, the grave of uh, Yusuf. Wow, it's amazing, absolutely amazing, incredible. What a great story! And it's so nice that somebody posted that so 
there's a record. It's not forgotten. We should not forget these sort of stories. And uh, thank you to Zunita Romley for, uh, for sharing that. It's a public post, and I put the link in our, in our show notes tonight. You can check it out. And uh, very cool. Uh, by the way, uh, for the uh, bot spam poster on uh, twitch.tv, by the way, Twitch, what the hell are you doing over there? Your bot problem is unbelievable. I don't get half as many. I don't get a tenth, a hundredth on my Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, none on Rumble. Uh, but Twitch, seriously, you need to kick it in gear, folks. Your bot problem is really bad. I get tired of reporting and blogging these people. Anyway, BigThink.com's got our next story, and this is a weird one from Yale scientists. So, you know, it's Yale. These guys kind of know what they're doing. Look at the headline. Yale scientists restore cellular function in 32 dead pig brains. Yeah, wow. Researchers hope the technology will further our understanding of the brain. However, lawmakers might not be ready for these rather ethical challenges. Researchers at the Yale School of Medicine successfully restored some function to pigs' brains that had been dead for hours. This is Dr. Frankenstein stuff, folks. This is weird. Uh, They hope the technology will advance our understanding of the brain, potentially developing new treatments for debilitating diseases and disorders. The research raises a lot of very strange ethical questions, though, and it really puts to test our current understanding of death. The image of an undead brain coming back to life again, you know, like I said, Dr. Frankenstein, science fiction, um, instantly springs to mind a friend without a face, bad acting, visible strings, and a spinal cord that for some reason also has a tentacle. But like any good science fiction, It's only a matter of time before somebody seeps it into our reality. And uh, this week's Nature magazine published the findings of researchers who managed to restore function to pigs' brains that were clinically dead. At least what we once thought of as dead. So the whole story is in our show notes tonight. You want to check it out. It is weird, trust me, but it's been done. And this is not some wacky website with a bunch of freaky stories on it. It's bigthink.com, but it's a Yale a group of Yale scientists. So take that for what you want. That's, that's incredible. It, and you know the similarities between pigs and humans. That's why they're used a lot for scientific research, because they are very similar to our biology. So, go figure, huh? Mm. All right. Everything under the sun. Oh, nice segue, Jay. Yes, finally got a good one. Everything under the sun like this guy. This is from a uh, cool page over on uh, Facebook. Uh, It's called The Power of Positivity. But do you remember the story I told you about setting Rita Bailey's foot on fire? 
The uh, the too long didn't read version is, I got this giant magnifying glass on a frame. It, li- it literally was about a foot long, and about eight inches tall. It was on a gooseneck, and it was a giant magnifying glass. So of course, what does a you know kid do? He brings it to school to show off to his friends, and he uses it with the sun to set things on fire. You know, magnifying glasses can do that. Who doesn't know that? So I'm burning ants or bugs or something on the, uh, the, the baseball diamond in our playground at recess. And Rita Bailey thinks she's going to be a smartass. And she comes over and she sticks her foot underneath and says, set my foot on fire. So Jay obliges, focuses the sun's beam with his magnifying glass. And within a couple of seconds, poof. Her sneaker ignites, and the only thing I can see is Rita Bailey running down from home base to the first baseline with smoke coming off of her left shoe. (laughs) Anyway, the magnifying glass got confiscated. I wound up on detention, and if I'm not mistaken, I got a good spanking from my father when he got home from work that night. However, having said that, Take a look at this. This is amazing. Links in the show notes. This guy is using, this is about the size of my magnifying glass was, but this is a, a small, thin one. And he is using it to create art. Take a look at this. He's actually focusing the sun rays. You see it's smoking there? And this picture is burned into this, I don't know if it's, it's paper, I think. Use it. Here's a time lapse as he goes around, darkening all the spots. Look at that. Focusing the sun rays. Absolutely incredible. And all done with a magnifying glass and the sun. That is absolutely amazing. Look at that. Here's another close up. I mean, he's a brilliant artist anyway, but in addition to that, his tools are a magnifying glass and the sun the power of positivity community his name is mike papadakis i think very cool and uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, video of him creating different pieces of art using oh there's another one with a magnif an actual you know kind of a sherlock holmes magnifying glass on the end of a uh, stick and he's using that to do some of the fine detail work this is amazing you got to check that video out. It's very, very cool. And again, like I said, I put the link in our show notes tonight just so you can have a chance to check it out. Share it if you want on your page and uh, see what's there. It's incredible. It's really wild. All right. It's time, isn't it? Yes. Hang on. I got to do one quick coffee break. Mm. Okay. One last plug. You want a Miko mug, which has our show logo on it and Miko. Or you want a t-shirt, a ball cap, a hoodie, all kinds of cool stuff. You go over to uh, the first link in the top of our description down below, our show notes. The very first link is Miko Merchandise. It's for our show. It helps support the show. And, of course, it's got a cool picture of Miko on everything on the site. All of our merchandise features our little girl Miko. So check that out. All right, there. I had to do a plug. Sorry, I I just had to. Time to move on to our book, my friends. And we have been doing Winnie the Pooh, of course. Uh, Good old Winnie the Pooh. 
This comes to us from the folks at the Gutenberg Project. We thank them very much for those amazing books. You'll find all the books we've read here, Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Little Prince, uh, you name it, uh, The Velveteen Rabbit. They're all there. They're free. They're free for download, or you can read them online. Uh, download them in ebook format or HTML or text files in some cases. And uh, yeah, they're, they're all there. We encourage you to go over and help support uh, the Gutenberg Project at gutenberg.org. Now, as you know, we have been reading Winnie the Pooh, and we've made it up to chapter five. It's kind of a long chapter tonight, so sit back, grab an extra glass of wine or cup of coffee, and, and enjoy. It's chapter five in which Piglet meets a Huffalump. One day, when Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh and Piglet were all talking together. Christopher Robin finished the mouthful he was eating and said carelessly, I saw a heffalump today, Piglet. What was it doing? asked Piglet. Oh, just lumping along, said Christopher Robin. I don't think it saw me. I saw one once, said Piglet. At, at least I, I think I did, he said. Only uh, perhaps it wasn't. So did I, said Pooh, wondering what a heffalump was like. You don't often see them, said Christopher Robin carelessly. Oh, not now, said Piglet. Not at this time of year, said Pooh. Then they all talked about something else, until it was time for Pooh and Piglet to go home together. At first, as they stumped along the path which edged the hundred-acre wood, they didn't say much to each other. But when they came to the stream and had helped each other across the stepping stones and were able to walk side by side again over the heather, they began to talk in a friendly way about this and that. And Piglet said, If you see what I mean, Pooh, said Pooh said, It's just what I think myself, Piglet. And Piglet said, but on the other hand, Pooh, we must remember. And Pooh said, quite true, Piglet, although I'd forgotten it for the moment. And then, just as they came to the six pine trees, Pooh looked round to see that nobody else was listening and said in a very solemn voice, Piglet, I have decided something. What have you decided, Pooh? I have decided to catch a Huffalump. Pooh nodded his head several times as he said this and waited for Piglet to say, How? Or Pooh, you couldn't? Or something helpful of that sort. But Piglet said nothing. The fact that Piglet was wishing that he had thought about it first. I should do it, said Pooh, after waiting a little longer by means of a trap, and it must be a cunning trap, so you'll have to help me, Piglet. Pooh, said Piglet, feeling quite happy again now. I will. And then he said, how shall we do it? And Pooh said, that's just it. How? And they sat down together to think it out. Pooh's first idea was that they should dig a very deep pit, and then the heffalump would come along and fall into the pit. And why, said Piglet. Why what, said Pooh. Uh, why would he fall in? Well, Pooh rubbed his nose with his paw and said that 
the heffalum might be walking along, humming a little song and looking up at the sky and wondering if it would rain and so he wouldn't see the very deep pit until he was halfway down when it would be too late. Pooh said this was a very good trap, but suppose it were raining already. Pooh rubbed his nose again and said that he hadn't thought of that. Then he brightened up and said that if it were raining already, the heffalump would be looking at the sky wondering if it would clear up, and so he wouldn't see the very deep pit until he was halfway down, when it would be too late. Piglet said that now that this point had been explained, he thought it was a cunning trap. Well, Pooh was very proud when he heard this, and he felt that the heffalump was as good as caught already. But there was just one thing which had to be thought about, and it was this. Where should they dig the very deep pit? Piglet said the best place would be somewhere near where a heffalump was, just before he fell into it, or only about a foot further on. Uh, but then he would see us digging it, said Pooh. Uh, not if he was looking at sky. He would suspect said Pooh, as if he happened to look down. He thought for a long time and then added sadly, hmm, it isn't as easy as I thought. I suppose that's why heffalums hardly ever get caught. That must be it, said Piglet. Well, they sighed, got up, and when they'd taken a few gorse prickles out of themselves, they sat down again. And all the time Pooh was saying to himself, if only I could think of something, for he felt sure that a clever, very clever brain could catch a heffalump if he only knew the right way to go about it. Suppose, he said to Piglet, you wanted to catch me. How'd you do it? Well, said Piglet, I should do it like this. I should make a trap. I should put a jar of honey in the trap. You would smell it, and you would go in after it, and and I would go in after it, said Pooh excitedly, only very carefully as to not hurt myself. And I would get to the jar of honey, and I should lick around the edges, first of all, pretending that there wasn't any more, you know, and then I should walk away and think about it a little, and then I should come back and start licking in the middle of the jar. And then, yes, yes, well, never mind about that. There you would be, and there I should catch you. Now, the first thing to think of is, what do heffalumps like? I should think acorns, shouldn't you? Uh, we'll get a lot, I say. Wake up, Pooh. Pooh, who'd gone into a happy dream, woke up with a start. Said that honey was a much more trappy thing than acorns. Piglet didn't think so, and they were just going to argue about it when Piglet remembered that if they put acorns in the trap, he would have to find the acorns. So he said, All right, honey, then. Just as Pooh remembered it, too, and was going to say, All right, acorns. Honey, said Piglet to himself in a thoughtful way, as if it were now settled. I'll dig the pit while you go get the honey. Oh, very well and he stumbled off. As soon as he got home, he went to the larder, stood up on a chair, and looked down in a very large jar of honey from the top shelf. It had honey written on it, but 
just to make sure. He took off the paper cover, looked at it, and it looked just like honey. But you never can tell, said Pooh. I remember my uncle saying once he'd seen cheese just this color. So he put his tongue in, took a large lick. Ah, yes, he said. It is, no doubt about that. And honey, I should say, right down to the bottom of the jar. Unless, of course, he said, somebody put cheese in the bottom for a joke. Uh, perhaps I'd better go a, a little bit further, just in case. And in case Hempelumps don't like cheese, same as me. Ah, and he gave a deep sigh. Ha, huh, I was right. It's honey right the way down. Having made certain of this, he took the jar back to Piglet. Piglet looked up from the bottom of his very deep pit and said, Got it? And Pooh said, Uh, yes, but it isn't quite a full jar. And he threw it down to Piglet. Piglet said, No, it isn't. Is that all you've got left? And Pooh said, Uh, yes, because it was. So Piglet put the jar at the bottom of the pit, climbed out, and they went off home together. Well, good night, Pooh, said Piglet, when they got to Pooh's house. And we meet at six o'clock tomorrow morning by the pine trees and see how many heffalumps we've got in our trap. Six o'clock, Piglet. And have you got any string? Uh, no, why do you want string? Oh, to lead them home with. Oh, I think heffalumps will come if you whistle. Some do, some don't. You never can tell with heffalumps. Well, good night. Good night. And off Piglet trotted to his house, Trespassers W, while Pooh made his preparations for bed. Some hours later, just as the night was beginning to steal away, Pooh woke up suddenly with a sinking feeling. He had that sinking feeling before, and he knew what it meant. He was hungry. So he went to the larder, stood on a chair, and reached up to the top shelf and found nothing. That's funny, he thought. I know I had a jar of honey there, a full jar, full of honey right up to the top, and it had honey written on it. So I should know it was honey. That's very funny. Then he began to wander up and down, wondering where it was and murmuring a murmur to himself like this. It's very, very funny, because I know I had some honey, because it had a label on saying honey, a galoptius full up pot too, and I don't know where it's got to. No, I don't know where it's gone. Well, that's funny. He'd murmured this to himself three times in a singing sort of way when he suddenly remembered. He put it into the cunning trap to catch the heffalump. Bother, said Pooh. It all comes of trying to be kind to heffalumps. And he got back into bed. But he couldn't sleep. The more he tried to sleep, the more he couldn't. He tried counting sheep, which is sometimes a good way of getting to sleep. And as that was no good, he tried counting heffalumps. And that was worse. 
because every heffalump that he counted was making straight for a pot of Pooh's honey and eating it all. For some minutes he lay there miserably, but when the 575th heffalump was licking his jaws and sang to itself, Very good honey, this. I don't know when I've tasted better. Pooh could bear it no longer. He jumped out of bed, ran out of his house, and straight to the six pine trees. The sun was still in bed, but there was a lightness in the sky over the hundred-acre wood, which seemed to show that it was waking up and would soon be kicking off its clothes. In the half-light, the pine trees looked cold and lonely, and the very deep pit seemed deeper than it was. And Pooh's jar of honey at the bottom was something mysterious, a shape no more. But as he got nearer to it, his nose told him that it was indeed honey, and his tongue came out and began to polish up his mouth, ready for it. Bother, said Pooh as he got his nose inside the jar. A heffalump has been eating it. And then he thought a little and said, Oh no, I did. I forgot. Indeed, he had eaten most of it, but there was a little left at the very bottom of the jar, and he pushed his head right in and began to lick. By and by, Piglet woke up, and as soon as he woke up, he said to himself, Oh! And he said bravely, yes, and then, still more bravely, quite so. But he didn't feel very brave, for the word which was really jiggling about his brain was heffalumps. What was a heffalump like? Was it fierce? Did it come when you whistled? And how did it come? Was it fond of pigs at all? If it was fond of pigs, did it make any difference what sort of pig? Supposing it was fierce with pigs, would it make any difference if the pig had a grandfather called Trespassers William? He didn't know the answer to any of these questions, and he was going to see his first heffalump in about an hour from now. Of course, Pooh would be with him, and that was much more friendly with two, but suppose heffalumps were very fierce with pigs and bears— wouldn't it be better to pretend that he had a headache and couldn't go to the six pine trees this morning? But then he supposed it was a very fine day, and there was no heffalump in the trap. Here he would be in bed all morning, simply wasting his time for nothing. What should he do? And then he had a very clever idea. He would go up very quietly to the six pine trees, peep very cautiously into the trap and see if there was a heffalump there. And if there was, he would go back to bed. And if there wasn't, he wouldn't. So off he went. At first he thought there wouldn't be a heffalump in the trap. And then he thought there would. And as he got nearer, he was sure that there would. Because he could hear it heffalumping about like anything. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, said Piglet to himself, and he wanted to run away, but somehow, having got so near, he felt he just must see what a heffalump was like. So he crept to the side of the trap and looked in. <laughs> 
and all the time Winnie the Pooh had been trying to get the honey jar off his head. The more he shook it, the more tightly it stuck. Bother, he said inside the jar, and oh, help, and mostly, ow, and he tried bumping it against things, but he couldn't see what he was bumping it against. It didn't help him. He tried to climb out of the trap, but as he could see nothing but jar and not much of that, he couldn't find his way. So at last he lifted up his head, jar and all, and made a loud roaring noise of sadness and despair. And it was at that moment when Piglet looked down. Help! Help! cried Piglet. A heffalump! A horrible heffalump! He scampered off as hard as he could, still crying out loud, Help! Help! A terrible hoffalump! Hoff! Hoff! A hellable horror-hump! Hull-hull-a-hoffable hellerump! And he didn't stop crying and scampering until he got to Christopher Robin's house. Whatever is the matter, Piglet? said Christopher Robin, who was just getting up. Hef, 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 said Pig, breathing so hard he could hardly speak. A hef, a, a hefalump. Where? Up there, he said, waving his paw. What did it look like? Like, like, it had the biggest head you ever saw, Christopher Robin. A great enormous thing, like, like, like a huge big, well, like, I don't know, like, like an enormous big nothing, like a jar. Well, said Christopher Robin, putting on his shoes, I shall go and look at it. Come on. Piglet wasn't afraid if he had Christopher Robin with him. So off they went. I can hear it, can't you? said Piglet anxiously as they got near. Well, I can hear something, said Christopher Robin. It was Pooh bumping his head against a tree root he'd found. There, said Piglet, isn't it awful? And he held on tight to Christopher Robin's hand. And suddenly, Christopher Robin began to laugh. And he laughed, and he laughed, and he laughed. And while he was still laughing, crash went the heffalump's head against the tree root. Smash went the jar, and out came Pooh's head. Then Piglet saw what a foolish little piglet he'd been, and he was so ashamed of himself that he ran straight off home and went to bed with a headache. But Christopher Robin and Pooh went home to breakfast together. Oh, bear, said Christopher Robin, how I do love you. And Pooh said, so do I. <laughs> That's chapter five in Winnie the Pooh. Coming up in our next stream, we'll do chapter six, in which Eeyore has a birthday and gets two presents. That'll be on our next stream on uh, Wednesday night. All right. Long one tonight. My goodness. All righty. I'll see you again Wednesday. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you for subscribing over on your podcast platforms, wherever it is, Apple, Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Stitcher. Just look us up. I'm not wearing pants or Jay Sheldon. Look for uh, that logo there and then click follow. 
subscribe, and uh, we thank you very much for that. I will see you on Wednesday night. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, the pantless one. Good night. <laughs>